Welcome to the Binge Breakers Podcast. I'm Jacqueline. I am here to teach you how I overcame bulimia and my binge eating disorder, and how you can too. Through simple steps of mind management, repairing your relationship with yourself, understanding your habits, and intuitive eating. Hey guys, welcome to the podcast. I hope you're having a lovely wrap up to your week. It's Friday, wherever you are in the world. (laughs) Maybe it's your Friday afternoon. Maybe it's your Friday morning. Maybe it's already Saturday for you. Who knows? But anyway, let's just jump right into the episode. I obviously am a coach, right? Believe me, recovery coach. So I coach lots of different clients and they all have different scenarios. I'm really blessed to have seen a wide array of people and to see some like completely different situations. However, even though a lot of my clients are different, they have different lives, different personalities, love all their uniqueness. I see common threads, in particular common threads when binging and purging or overeating is much more likely to occur. And so I wanted to create a podcast episode dedicated to that on the top five times where I see binging and purging come up where people are more likely to binge and purge or overeat. And I know they're not the same thing, but I want to throw that in there because what I noticed with myself and with other clients is even when you stop binging and purging, overeating becomes the next beast, the next thing that is like hard to break. And um, it's the next thing that comes up. So even if you aren't binging and purging anymore, you still maybe are emotionally leaning on food with overeating and it's a hard habit to stop. So those, that's why I'm throwing that in there, even though they're not the same, the same kind of habits can occur just in a milder form, which is overeating or emotional eating, if they want to call it that. But um, after many conversations, here are the top five triggers that I notice, the common threads. This is by no means covering all of it. And one topic that in particular, I'm not going to talk about today, but I would like to make an episode in the future about is a huge trigger is trauma. And I would be have to be an idiot not to acknowledge, or have to be really ignorant not to acknowledge trauma and its role that it plays in eating disorders. But before I do an episode like that, I would like to do more research. One being that I am not a trauma expert, though I've had several clients, you know, no surprise there that have struggled with trauma and have an eating disorder, but I'm not an expert in it. So I don't want to speak on something when, until I am, you know, fully feel like I understand it, um, or at least have a good base knowledge to share with you guys and, um, some advice for that. So that's a huge trigger. I'm not going to be talking about today. However, that being said, this is not necessarily going to be, when I mentioned triggering times, that's just it. I'm talking about scenarios, not necessarily triggers for what people say to you, just kind of general times of day and certain situations that make people more likely to binge. That is what I'm going to be talking about today. So here are the top five triggers that people tell me about, or at least I notice with clients and with people that write me in on Instagram. Like a lot of people reach out to me on Instagram. A lot of people email me through my website, um, course members, not only do I get to talk one-on-one with a lot of clients, but I also get to interact all the time with my course members on our Facebook group community. That I love that community. It's a small little niche community within my course, but I just, the things that people post in there, the questions that people ask, the Facebook lives, I get to talk, interact with them. And now that we're doing group coaching, I feel like I know my course members on a whole nother level. And it's just, it's cool. But all of those people combined that I've talked to have really helped me learn a lot about triggers like these and also my own experience. So that's where I'm gathering this information from. But the number one uh, top trigger that is huge for almost anyone is bloating and fullness. This seems to be the biggest trigger 
ever. <laughs> and it's not the, um, not the only one for sure, but bloating and fullness seems to be a huge one that after they feel bloated or they feel full, uncomfortable, their stomach, this seems to be like the number one thing that gets people to, um, binge or binge and overeat or just feel crappy or spiral them into a lot of different bad behaviors. So, um, I wrote out a situation where it's like your stomach feels gassy and extended, even after having just a small meal and you want to purge or binge, binge and purge to get rid of the feeling. So that's what I see commonly is like the bloating happens, right? For whatever reason, maybe you had a meal, maybe you haven't binged and purged in a while or something like that too. Whatever the case is, you feel bloated by your standards and then or full. And it's, first of all, it's uncomfortable. And I think that's the biggest problem probably is it just feels like you can feel how your stomach is extended or it feels extended to you. And that makes you maybe self-conscious. It's uncomfortable. Like it just doesn't feel very good. It feels like this bloating, like this week, um, I have been a lot more bloated because I'm adding a lot more cruciferous vegetables into my diet and fermentable fibers because they're really good for you. However, including those things in your diet when you're not used to them (laughs) all at once is just a a recipe for the most like gassy bloatiness you can ever imagine. So my stomach and gut bacteria has been having a field day, uh, field day this entire week. It's been really bloated. So I can totally relate to the uncomfortableness, just the general physical discomfort. On top of that though, the thoughts that you have about the bloating really trip people up. So I've had a lot of clients say that they they want to binge and purge to get rid of that feeling. They feel like the bloating equates to maybe waking, so they feel full or they feel bloated. Maybe they feel full after a meal and they feel like that fullness, they can just they it feels like they're almost literally gaining weight after as they're digesting it and the panic ensues. They feel like they're going to gain weight if they sit with that discomfort, if they keep that fullness. And then a lot of people for um the bloating is kind of a uh, they don't want people to see them bloated. Uh, and this was hard for me this week too. I went to the gym feeling really bloated and, um, I wore shorts and a tank top and like, it was very obvious that I was bloated. And I definitely had moments where I was like, I don't know if I want to go to the gym like this. I don't know if I want people to see me like this, you know, like this feels self-conscious. Um, so those are all the things that go on that cause people to want to binge and purge, or at least just a few when you feel bloated or you feel overly full. Here's what I would recommend to do to handle that situation. So first of all, notice the discomfort and just try to sit with that discomfort of the bloating and fullness for a second before you make any decisions. Notice what is actually happening before you start dramatizing it in your head and sit down and say, okay, I feel bloated. I feel full. Why is this feeling so intolerable? Why can I not take this feeling? What is going on that makes me want to go binge or makes me want to do this? Like, what about this feeling is so horrible? And try to really identify it. You can't let these feelings that trigger you to do so many things be so ambiguous and scary. We have to turn and face them. So what I recommend for clients to do and what I do, especially if I'm feeling like full, and that's still one of my bigger triggers, right? Haven't binge in person a long time, but occasionally when I feel really uncomfortable, really sick or really full, I still have the trigger of wanting to kind of get rid of that feeling, right? And it's just because I think about it, it's just because it's this physical discomfort and I know that there's a solution to getting rid of it, but I know that that solution is not worth it. So therefore I don't do it. For you, you got to identify, okay, what's going on? Why is this feeling so intolerable? And really honestly answer the question, can I tolerate it anyway? So that's the first piece of advice. 
Second piece of advice is to notice your thoughts around the situation and notice the broken logic that is trying to come up to get you to binge and purge. A lot of my clients will want to binge and purge to get rid of the bloating feeling. But the really messed up thing about that is you, they're like, let me add more food so that then I can, it'll be easier to purge. So you're first of all making the bloating worse. And then you're reinforcing the bloating because the more you're binging and purging, the more like your stomach's going to be irritated. Your gut health is going to be all sorts of messed up. And the more likely you are to get bloated when you eat anything because your, your gut is just all out of whack. So really like it maybe is a short-term solution, but it's really one, just an excuse to binge. And it's to just a short-term bandaid on the solution. And it really doesn't make sense. So Try to identify all the logic that you're, or the broken logic your brain is trying to give you and notice the fact that it's all just chatter and it's all just an excuse to binge, an excuse to try to reinforce that habit, just an opportunity in your mind. But ask yourself, what do I really want? Do I want to tolerate this temporary discomfort so that I can go on and not have to deal with this as much? And just like, you know, what would a normal person do? A normal person would just sit and think, okay, I'm bloated. It's no big deal. Like if you ever think of Thanksgiving in America, I always, when I talk about this, I have this picture of my uncles who would eat way too much on Thanksgiving dinner. And then they would be super stomachs would be like super extended because they ate way too much. And they would just pat their bellies and be like, Oh, I overate. I'm really tired, man. That was, that was a big meal. That was really good. And then they move on. And that's crazy for us that struggle with eating disorders. Cause like, how can you move on? But it's because they think one, it's a temporary state. It makes sense because they had a bunch of food and they're not overly concerned with the weight gain, but I'll tell you something else. Bloating and fullness does not equate to weight gain. And if that's one of the thoughts in your head, you have to reel that back in. Now, if you just had like, you know, a large binge, of course, totally like maybe some weight is going to be gained for that. But if you, you know, get, we struggle with bloating with anything. A lot of you guys will just eat a carrot and feel bloated, right? Think about what you actually ingested and understand that energy in versus energy out. While it is part of that, you're not going to gain tons of weight from feeling bloated. It's really just over accessing calories and try to calm your, your brain down and think if we can sit with this discomfort, this will create less weight gain later on because we'll actually manage when we feel overly full and we'll learn from feeling overly full instead of just putting a bandaid over that overly fullness, right? Instead of just getting that quick fix, we want to take the hard road right now instead of taking the easy road. And binging and purging, I would argue, is never really the easy road. It's really the the um, the treacherous road that is covered somehow with like rainbows and daisies. <laughs> um, and the last thing, the last common thread that I want to talk about with binging or with uh, bloating is that a lot of people worry, what will other people think? What will people think about my stomach? Like, what will they say? And the first thing I want to offer to you is they actually, it's not their thoughts that you care about. It's your thoughts about what they think that you care about. So why do you care so much what someone thinks about your stomach? Like, why does that bother you so much? If someone comes up to you and says, why your stomach's extended and that's kind of gross or something and then moves on as if someone would say that, but let's say that they did for argument's sake, it bothers you because you think that it's true and you think less of yourself if you look that way or you appear that way. Why? You know, you have to answer that question for yourself, but that's kind of where it's coming from. When I was going to the gym um, this week and feeling bloated and uncomfortable and all that sort of stuff. 
my initial resistance to it when I thought and I really sat down was like, why do I care what these people think? I was thinking they would think less of me and they would think that, um, you know, maybe I don't really deserve to be there or that I had eaten too much or that I was gross. Right. And all these beliefs aren't necessarily true, but it actually was what my brain had said. And it really just spoke volumes about what I thought about bloating really when it pertains to me. And so I had to, I had to sit myself down and be like, Jacqueline, first of all, that isn't necessarily true. And who cares what these people think of you? Why are you wasting your time thinking about what some strangers at the gym think about you? And if they are thinking these things about you, do you really want to associate yourself with these people? Why are you basing your life and what you do and where you go out based on what other people think? This is not how you want to live your life. And this is not what we want to care about. And this is not what we preach to people, right? We don't tell people to care about how we look to an extent that it it discourages you from going outside. I really had to sit down and seriously think about the bloating and the fullness and think, I'm doing this for my health. One, I'm bloated because I'm trying to eat healthier, right? I'm trying to make better decisions for my body long-term and go through that immediate discomfort. These people know nothing about me. And even if I'm bloated like this for the rest of my life, even if I gain 20 pounds, whatever, I am worthy of being here. I deserve to work out. I'm not entitled. I shouldn't say that, but like I can work out because I want to. I can take up space because I want to. I'm allowed to be here, right? Because I'm a human who can work out if she wants to, and she can work out while she's bloated, doesn't say anything about my health. It's a normal bloating, is a normal part of eating. Like, even if you're not bloated, if you eat anything, your stomach is going to have some sort of space taken up in it. Your stomach is going to expand slightly. Bloating is not the devil. So really take a look if I want to review all that. First of all, sit with the discomfort, ask yourself really why it's so uncomfortable and notice your thoughts on the situation. Are they really true? And why does it bother you so much, especially when it comes to what other people think of your bloating? But I promise you a few things. You can tolerate that bloating in fullness. It's not actually as bad as you think. It won't lead to a million pounds of weight gain. And the more you can learn to tolerate it, the easier it will become for this not to become a trigger for you. And bloating, I know, like, if you're really attached to that lean, flat stomach look, really ask yourself why. Really get down to the nitty gritty of why. Like, why do you have to maintain a flat stomach at all times? And I was asking myself that very question, you know, earlier in this week. And it was all for just, you know, vanity as just me trying to be, trying to manipulate the way other people saw me as this flawless being. So it's as if a flat stomach means that you're perfect, right? It's all not true, but really diving into that logic and understanding, oh, this is why I'm thinking the way I'm thinking. And then what are we going to believe now? What do we want to, what do we have to let go of is a better question. What do you have to let go of in terms of bloating and fullness and your thoughts around it in order to move on? Because I promise you binging and purging is not the answer. So that's the first big trigger. The second big trigger, and actually the second and third one, they're a little bit different, but second one is unstructured time or free time. And then the third one is being alone. So unstructured time, I kind of, uh, I described it as a weekend day where you have no obligation to be anywhere or do anything that can easily turn into a food frenzy. So unstructured time or free time is kind of a time where you don't have to do anything. You don't have to be anywhere. You have no obligations to anyone. And usually you're alone, but it's a little bit different. You just have nothing necessarily to do. And I see this is like, it's not a dangerous time, but people create it to be a dangerous time because they're like, I don't know what to do. So it becomes scary to people. It becomes like, I don't know what to, what to do. So I'm probably going to binge, right? And I think this is just because 
binging becomes such of a habit or overeating becomes such a, such a habit that when we have nothing to do, it's just like opens the door to, oh, your brain's like, why don't we snack? Why don't we overeat? And then one quick overeating can turn into why don't we binge, right? There's nothing else to do. This is what we habitually do when we have unstructured time. So my best option for you is to actually plan your time out and plan your free time. Now, I'm not saying you have to be the most productive person in the world with your free time, but I am saying even on the weekends, plan a loose schedule, plan what you're going to do. Whether it's, I'm going to video game for three hours as soon as I wake up in the morning on a Saturday while eating my favorite breakfast, like just plan to have fun, right? But give yourself a structured time. And if you really want to just plan loosely what you're going to eat. And I know that some people like, you know, disagree with this entirely. They think this is like very disordered eating, but I've seen um, a lot of clients do quite well when they actually plan their food not in a calorie sort of planning way. They just write down the meals that they're going to have for the day and the loose times that they're going to eat it. And this creates this sense of peace. They know what they're going to do. There's no confusion about what to do. There's no, oh my God, it's overwhelming because I have so much open time today. They know what they have planned and there's no panic. And also when you have unstructured time or free time, planning for yourself to relax, let's go of that guilt because you planned ahead of time to do this. It's not like you're um, you know, relaxing when you shouldn't be, you have already made a decision with your adult brain to give yourself relaxation time. This can be so effective and not having these times turn into a binge and purge free for all. Right. And you will have urges to throw all those plans out the window. So I really highly recommend you make those plans enticing, enjoyable, and fun, and try your best to stick to them. And as soon as you fall off the wagon, get back on the wagon. So how I plan my time is I write all my to-do lists out on Monday and sometimes Sunday evening, and then I put as much as possible into the calendar. And I do plan things like um, watching American horror story with my boyfriend. Like we've been binge watching that show. So we're watching that, you know, I have that each night laid out at like eight o'clock. We start watching American horror story. And then I also plan when I'm going to walk the dog and when I'm going to like take a shower after walking the dog and when I'm going to work out. And I also plan appointments and I, pl I plan journal time. And during the weekends I plan video game time and walking and going out to eat all that sort of stuff. And those plans can change over the weekend. They're a lot more flexible, but at least gives my mind kind of a time to, to um, a peace of mind to know that there's a structure, even if it's loose. So I highly recommend for unstructured time, you actually plan your free time and plan what you're going to do. Don't let it be this big, ominous, dark, scary thing. You can totally have, there's so many opportunities in there and it doesn't have to be a binge free for all sort of uh, pandemic over the weekend. So that's what I would recommend for that. Um, and then being alone, that is a huge trigger for people. So being alone can be similar to unstructured time or free time, but it's a little bit more specific because being alone, I described it as suddenly you find yourself at home after your family has left to go do something. There are cookies in the fridge and you can't be trusted alone with them. Like suddenly you're alone. It happens out of the blue and you just don't have anything else to do and you don't trust yourself. And I think this is the key thing that needs to change is first try to change your mindset around alone time. You can't go your whole life 
without being alone. And if you try to do that, that's going to be extremely exhausting. I have been there. I did it for years. I would, even when I was alone, I would constantly, as soon as I was alone without input from other people, I'd be desperately trying to put my ear earbuds in to try to put some noise on because I didn't want to hear my own thoughts. It was complete insanity. I was just like so good at avoiding myself. I'd always have something on the TV just so I couldn't, I didn't have to be completely alone. And sometimes in moments where I wasn't alone or I was alone and didn't have any sound, like occasionally when I couldn't sleep at night, that's when like my mind would just race. So race with tons of negativity, tons of anxiety. So first of all, consider why you're so scared to be alone, really like tackle the fears there. So for me, being alone was like, I didn't want to hear the thoughts in my own head. I didn't want to think about my problems. And if I let myself be alone, if I didn't distract myself at all hours of the day, then my mind would just dump hell on me and all the worries that I had for my life. And every single thing that I wasn't doing correctly, it was going to come up if I let myself be alone. So that's why I avoided time alone with myself. And I also thought, you know, if I'm alone, then it's also a free for all with food. I have to go binge food if I'm not distracting myself. Um, so whatever your fears are when it comes to being alone, answer them. So um, try to figure out what they are. Uh, why are you so scared? That's the first thing, identifying the problem. And the second thing is, Okay. You've identified the problem. So how can you solve for that? How can you be alone with yourself without harassing your brain all the time? How can you be alone with yourself without eating tons of food in the house? First recommendation is to plan that alone time, plan for what you're actually going to do. So it doesn't feel so scary, so ominous, so kind of monster in the basement sort of vibe. And also try to make your alone time really pleasant and luxurious. So you're actually looking forward to it. Plan a bath, plan a reading event, plan something to do, something enjoyable that you look forward to. And if you were like me, where the moment that you're alone, your brain just ensues tons of worries onto you and everything you've been trying to avoid comes to the surface, I'd re highly recommend do some journaling and just like let it all out and come up with solutions. Like meet yourself face to face and stop running from yourself. And actually it might not be as scary as you think, but the more and more you avoid alone time, the worse it's going to get. Alone time also does not equal binge time. Alone, it's just what you think of it. It's just the story that you built up in your head that alone time is binge time. It doesn't have to be that way. So I want you to redefine what alone time means to you. I want you to identify what actually alone time, why it's so scary, why you fear it so much. And I want you to plan for your alone time, make it enticing. And I want you to solve the problems for that. So identify why alone being alone is so scary. So you actually know what the hell is going on in your brain, why it's freaking out about that. Um, but for me, for my example, it's mainly that I don't trust myself and that I would always worry about what was going to happen when we're alone time happen, that I would just worry incessantly. So first of all, the only way you can trust yourself is to experience alone time. The only way you can start trusting yourself is for you to have courage to spend time alone and then to eventually get confidence in being alone and then trust yourself because you've done it many times. So Plan your first alone time, plan it in a space where you feel safe, um, plan it maybe where there's not tons of food and binge food around and start to get to know yourself again, start to experience what it's like to be alone, to have nothing to do. It'll seem really scary at first, but this is the only way that you're going to get better at it. Plan for like a 30 minute alone time, plan just like one unstructured time. And keep pushing the boundaries, keep figuring out things that you like. You may discover the activities you plan you don't like. 
but keep trying it. Keep, keep pushing for it. I promise it will get better. And you deserve to spend time alone. I think it's such a disservice. Humans go their whole life without really being truly at peace and alone with themselves. I have healed my relationship with that so much. And I'm so glad that I can sit and I actually look forward to alone time and peace and quiet. It's so such a gift to actually be alone with yourself. So those are my, my recommendations for that. But the biggest thing is maybe stop telling yourself the lie that alone time means binge time. It's not actually true. You can figure out how to be alone without binging, without overeating, without it having anything to do with food. How can you be alone with yourself and it be a pleasant experience? Maybe ask yourself that question. The um, fourth trigger time is um, when you've just finished a meal. So directly after eating and even like eating a planned meal. And what I described it as you just finished a normal, healthy meal you planned, but even during the meal, you feel yourself wanting more. Then after you still want to continue eating, but the meal is done, you start deliberating on whether you should go back for more, check the fridge, order food, etc. So after meal time seems to be a huge issue for people where they're like, should I go back? I don't know. All this sort of stuff. They start wanting more when they're not even finished with the food, all that sort of stuff. So here are my recommendations for meal time. Um, I would first, before you have the meal, anticipate that you're going to want more during the meal and just anticipate the problems that are going to occur. Especially if you're still binging and purging, you're struggling with that. I want you to first calm yourself down before even having the meal. Check in with yourself. Notice how am I feeling? Am I nervous? Am I anxious? Why am I feeling that way? What are the thoughts going on in my head? Can I calm this down a little bit? Can I just breathe? Can I take a four minute break and just calm myself before eating? right? It's really not helpful to go into an eating situation when you're feeling anxious. So take five minutes before the meal, check in, reset yourself, realize the reasons why you're feeling nervous and breathe. Breathing is one of the best ways to calm yourself down. Just breathe really slowly in, out, count to yourself and close your eyes, right? And so, and also anticipate I'm going to want more after this meal and I'm going to want more during this meal. And so this time, like it's good to anticipate those things because it makes you aware when those urges do come up. But then beforehand, after you've calmed yourself down, I want you to make a decision. And I want you to make a decision about what you're going to do after that meal is done, no matter what. And this is where the hard, hardest piece comes in is making that actual decision. And you'll know you've made a decision because you'll probably feel a lot very resolute in it. And you will also feel maybe a disappointment that you're not going to be able to eat more or binge after that meal. You know, you've made the clear decision when there's this kind of calmness and like, oh, this is what we're doing. And it's either going to be disappointment or joy, right? But you'll know exactly what you're going to do. So make a decision before the meal ends, make that commitment, even if it's painful to not go for more, not put seconds away, all that sort of stuff. And before you eat also, I want you to actually prep the meal, put it all on a plate. Do not eat in the kitchen while eating. Don't snack in between the kitchen. That's just a recipe for overeating binging. Don't start eating beforehand. Put all the ingredients you used to make that meal back in the fridge, put it all away, and tell yourself, if we want seconds, we can go back and do this all over again. But for right now, we are just putting this back in the fridge. Then I want you to take your meal to a separate location. And I want you to sit down and eat the meal there. And if you want seconds, you can go back and do it all over again. But do not 
do your, give yourself um, the extra obstacle of starting to eat in the kitchen and leaving things open so you can easily go back for more. Put up that friction, put up that barrier so that it makes it harder for you to go back up for seconds. This is not a restriction thing. This is not a way to get you to eat less. This is just a way for you to sit down and eat your meal without it being distracting, without it being like this frenzy, just being you and the meal in front of you. You can always go back for seconds. It's just a way for you to stop yourself and make a cognitive based decision on what you actually want to do versus your urge brain. Now, during the meal, I want you to actually practice slowing down. This is going to seem so stupid and frustrating, but I want you to actually put the fork down in between bites. And I don't know about you, but whenever eating, like I would, I would totally be like shoving one bite in my mouth and then scraping my fork up while chewing for the next bite and having it ready to go as soon as I swallow to put the next bite in. It was just, you know, just like a frenzy, right? I want you to not do that. I want you to chew put the fork down, take a break, go on your phone on Instagram or something if you need to, and actually pause at least for like a minute, (laughs) at least, at least at some point during the meal, I want you to take a five minute break in between the meal and just check in with yourself, check in with how you feel, see if you're feeling full, satiated, you don't know, it's all important information, but take breaks it will feel super foreign at first. It'll feel uncomfortable. It'll feel weird. You'll be like, why am I not eating my meal? It's right in front of me. You have to slow that down. You have to gain awareness around this and you have to realize that the food is always going to be there. You can always get more. And this is a great way to practice awareness around that food. Now, if you start to notice yourself panicking during the meal or panicking right after the meal, just try to bring yourself back down put the fork, all that stuff down and sit on wherever you're sitting on or go to the couch or something and just try to breathe again. You've made the decision. You've made the commitment. I really want you to pause and think, do we actually want to do this? Do we need to do this? What is the real problem? Is it just because the food tasted so good that I want more? If you can't come up with a really good rational reason, it's a good indicator that it's just that you want it because you want it. And it's not really rational. It's not founded in logic. It's just your binge brain trying to fulfill that habit. It doesn't mean anything's wrong with you. It doesn't mean you're crazy. It just means that you want that fix. So that's a really good indicator to say, okay, I want that fix, but we're not doing that anymore. So we're going to sit here instead and we're going to feel this discomfort and we're going to move on to something else. Also, planning your time after your meals. So don't have a ton of like a ton of open, um, ambiguous time after your meals plan to go on a walk, plan to do something for a half hour, like work or whatever, plan some yoga movement after a meal is really good. Cause it's not just a burn off the calories sort of thing. It's helps you digest better. So plan to take a walk immediately after a meal, get yourself some distance and space between the kitchen and the meal. So you can make a more rational decision. Okay. The final one, this is transitional times, number five. And this is probably one of the top contenders, not quite as common as bloating and fullness, but this is a huge one. And I see this, I found this so much in my own life. And I see this with a lot of my clients. Transitional times. What do I mean by that? I mean, you just finished your third meeting in a row and you have a 30 minute break from your home office before the next meeting. You're not sure what to do, but chocolate sounds good. All of a sudden you start to reach for it without even thinking. Transitional times, what I mean by that is times where you're going to and from different meetings or different events, like maybe you're coming home from work and it's time to start the second half of your day where you go work out, you take care of the kids, 
whatever. Um, certain times you're transitioning from one thing, one day event to the other day event, and you have to literally switch your mind to a different form of thinking, a different task. And for some reason, this is a hard time for us, especially if there's a little gap in between, because you're like, I don't know what to do. It's kind of up in the airtime. And it's kind of just like, it's annoying. And I feel like I need something to reset my mind. And the best way you found to do that is to eat a piece of chocolate or a piece of strawberry. It's kind of like having a mint or dessert after a meal too. It's like dessert, even though it's like luxurious and it's good, it's kind of a signal that like the meal is done, you know, dessert, you always have after the meal and it's a sign that we're done now or having like an after meal espresso or a little mint, mint. sometimes uh, restaurants. I don't know if they who does this? Some restaurants do, but they'll give you a little mint after the meal. And that's kind of a sign, like a very clear trigger for you because it's a taste, it's a smell that, okay, this is what we associate with being done with the meal. Same with the event. You want something to reset it. You want something to say, we're done with this. Now we're moving on to this. And then also the unstructured time, your brain just naturally likes to fill gaps with food. So you have those two things going for you. So what can you do to combat this? The best thing I found is taking breaks in other ways. So sometimes people try to make this super complex. They're like, I'll just go for a walk or I'll just do this. But those seem so, those things sound super difficult, especially if it's cold outside or you don't have that much time. You're not going to want to put your shoes on, put your coat on and go all the way outside and take a five minute walk. I want some you to have something to do that takes minimal effort, but it somehow refreshes and resets you. The best way I found to do this is to take like, a simple step outside and feel the sun on my skin, whether it's warm or cold, feel like the cold air can be refreshing. The warm air can be relaxing. And it really just, it's like a new stimulus. So it lets my mind know that, oh, we're done with that. Now we're moving on to this. That's really helpful. Sometimes between meetings with clients, I'll put like a quick song on and I'll just move around to that in my office. Looks ridiculous, looks totally weird, but it helps me kind of feel like I've somehow moved to one location to the other, especially I sit in my office a lot. And so it, even though I'm done with the meeting, I haven't left. So my brain kind of can't catch up to what's going on. So moving allows me to feel like I've done something physical to move on to the next event without having food. And I totally want to go for food anyway, but I do the movement instead doing a quick stretch. That can also be really helpful. Like I, my hips get really tight because I sit a lot. So doing a quick hip flexor stretch or something like that, that's really helpful. I'm trying to think if there's anything else, like you could do some push-ups. physical things are really helpful. You could even, if you really want to do something that's, you know, oral fixation sort of thing, you could have a piece of gum or you could drink some water, some really cold water or something, just something quick, simple, easy to signify. We have gone from this event to the next and now we're moving on. So also something really effective because people do this unconsciously a lot. They just suddenly are eating before the time that before the transitional time starts, let's say you've just finished your meeting you're still in your office chair, whatever location Decide what you're going to do before getting up out of that location and moving on to the next. So make a quick note that, hey, when I get up, I'm going to want to go for chocolate. I'm going to want to go for some Cheetos at the gas station. What are we going to do instead? And what are we committing to right now? And that has really helped a lot of my clients clear that habit up because it's starting and stopping the momentum before it even starts. And it's bringing your awareness to the problem before it's even unconscious. So it takes you out of autopilot and it makes you use that cognitive brain and you get it, uh, you get the habit stops before it even starts. So that's what I recommend for transitional times. 
Okay. That was my top five list of, um, overeating of common overeating and binge eating times. There are more I'd like to talk about. So I may make a second episode about this, including things like unplanned events, interrupted things, stressing anxiety. That's a huge one. And I totally know about that, but I feel like that's a topic that needs an entire kind of episode dedicated to, um, or being around fear foods. However, if you want to know, like dive deeper into this, if you want to talk to me about this and you feel like you need extra support on this and you want a community to work with on this and recover um, and dive into like how to handle fear foods, how to intuitively eat, how to stop binging and purging without it being this awful thing and how to just move on with your life, then check out my course. It's in the podcast link below, or you can go to bingebakers.com slash recovery dash course. And that course it's growing. I love it. And we have so many things in there for you that will talk about these topics today and could be really useful for you if you're trying to take your recovery to the next level. So if you resonate with this podcast and you want to go to the next level, definitely check this out. All right. I will see you guys in the next episode. If you want more daily content from me, and you're like one podcast isn't enough i am on instagram so i try to post there sometimes i don't post all the time but i try to be pretty consistent and post like day to day or at least four times a week or something like that and i have a lot of good instagram videos on there so there's much more content on there that you can check out in between podcasts every week so thank you so much for listening today you make this podcast possible i appreciate all of you guys out there that somehow think i have something to offer the world i'm so grateful to all of you thank you for all of you guys that reach out and just thank you for listening this podcast it's going to be a year soon since i released it and i just think that's bonkers to consider. And it's all because you listened that I was able to continue. So thank you so much. I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye. Hey, if you like this episode, you have to come check out the Binge Breakers Recovery course. If you're trying to recover from bulimia and you're sick of doing it alone and you feel like you've tried a lot of traditional therapies and it's not working with you, come join the course. Go to bingebreakers.com slash recovery dash course. 